Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 295, I almost can't count that high, of the Fun With Cars, Formula One, and Other Motorsports podcast, or episode 29 of 2021, which means we have done 2024 times over plus. <laughs> I'm Robin Warner, and today I'm joined by the man who wishes Christian Horner nothing but lovely iced tea to drink for the rest of the season, Christopher Roche. Hey, Chris. Good morning, Robin. It is Tuesday morning, July 27th, and Christian Horner and I are going to talk about the 2022 new rules and the new car that's going to come out of it. But, Chris, I have a feeling you have some news first. Well, the, the, the big news, Robin, is I'm not Christian Horner, as you just introduced me. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry so sorry. I, <laughs> I've got uh, Christian Horner on the brain because I just read the headline, Red Bull Lodge requests for FIA to review Hamilton penalty following Silverstone clash with Verstappen, which means they are not letting this go. Well, they claimed that the, the crash cost them $1.8 million, which in a budget cap season is not insignificant. Um, and obviously it's in their interest to get Hamilton an extra penalty as he won the race at Silverstone. So uh, it's a perfectly logical development. Um, there's, this, there's a long history in the sport of, of, of this type of uh, protest. Uh, we'll see what happens. You seem awfully sanguine about this whole thing. Do you happen to know someone at the FIA that said, ah, don't worry, this is, this is going to be brushed under? I mean, here's the thing I don't understand. Red Bull drivers cause other teams damage to their cars all the time all the time this is a big hit i am not trying to dismiss that part of it expensive much more importantly lots of g's i'm really happy the max verstappen's okay but come on i mean this just seems like they're just clinching at anything here and it's really starting to it's starting to get under my skin i'll say that much yeah i think uh the likelihood of them succeeding is highly remote, isn't it? I think I'd give it less than a 1% chance of them being successful. I think the FIA had stewards on the ground. They made a determination. Um, I, I don't see them overturning that uh, decision. I think there's been a lot of discussion by independent uh, witnesses, including people like Charles Leclerc, who said that... Uh, they, they saw it as a racing incident. Um, you know, if if there was a general groundswell of opinion that Hamilton was completely in the wrong, then maybe there would be a chance for Red Bull, but that just doesn't exist, does there? Um, there's a few that felt Hamilton overstepped the mark, um, but the I think the majority, as I said, racing incidents. So, you know, it, as I said, it, it, this, is, this is normal business, isn't it? In F1, if you can... Uh, disrupt or um, distract your opponents or try and find some advantage in some way then you're going to pursue those and that's just what Red Bull's doing here I don't think they really honestly expect to have much success yeah I I suppose I I just get the sense of they're trying everything they can kind of a thing and maybe there's a tactic of trying to if there's any way that they can rattle Mercedes at all Maybe there's a tactic in that regard, but I can't help but see it as a bit petty, to be frank about it. And uh, if you disagree with me, I, I definitely want you to say so in the comments. And um, when you leave a comment, you can do that on Facebook, or even better, you can go to funwithcars.com, which has been updated ever so slightly. Um, I am learning 
as I try to revamp the website, how little I know about websites. And it is becoming eye-opening just how ignorant I am about. We are far, far and away from Hello World computer programming and basic HTML websites. And uh, it's very easy to get lost in uh, in uh, the minutia of these things. But uh, with all that, I am I am working to expand the website, make it look a little better, and make a bit more sense. So um, do go to it, do check it out on occasion, and please uh, pardon the construction if you see something that seems odd. It took me a solid hour to uh, take away a banner that said email at thisisyouremail.com and call me at one two three four five six seven eight nine and I'm like, well, I didn't want that there and I just had to crawl through and find things. The point is that uh, Fun With Cars is growing and it's going to have an automotive news page, a motorsport news page, and then our podcast page, of course. So nothing's being taken away. We're only adding on to it. And Chris, your article on end of an era question mark about Mercedes-Benz is the prominent number one motorsports news story on that page. So please, a tip of the hat to my co-host, Christopher Roche. Probably need a second article then, don't we? (laughs) And um, also to celebrate, I want you to know that I am drinking a lovely hot tea and I am drinking it with milk and sugar as the English like to do. Very good. So so other news, uh, driver market. Let's dive into that a little bit. So uh, Valtteri Bottas has been linked with Alfa Romeo as a potential replacement for Kimi Raikkonen, who um, may be being pinched off by the Swiss-Italian team. Um, This is only, of course, if Mercedes-Benz decide not to uh, renew his contract for another year. So, yeah, Bottas being linked to a a few different teams. uh, Seems keen to stay within Formula One. uh, and uh, interestingly, Alpine are also considering that they might want to extend Fernando Alonso's contract, uh, which, you know, would seem to be a sort of a bit of a no-brainer, especially after his performance in the Silverstone Sprint race. Um, and yet somehow hasn't happened yet, even though they, they've uh, signed Ocon for another three decades. So, um, or was that years? I, I forget that contract was so... <laughs> Unbelievable! It could have been three decades. So Christopher Roche um, sees uh, Esteban Ocon in dog ears, so it <laughs> seems a lot longer to him. That's why. And uh, Mick Schumacher may be staying at Haas. So, uh, so there's lots. The the uh, the silly season is starting to uh, to get going in earnest. I think uh, Bottas is probably. Well, I think the the Mercedes seat and the Red Bull seat are going to be the keys to unlocking. The rest of the grid. Um, so obviously, once uh, the second driver at Mercedes is is finalised, and then Sergio Perez very likely renewal at Red Bull is confirmed. I think we'll see the other seats getting uh, quickly filled. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. I, I I would think based on the market they have and their history of decision making, it seems to me that keeping Sergio Perez is their best bet. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I don't think Yuki Tsunoda's ready for the prime time, is he, in, in the Red Bull? And I don't see them rehiring Gasly. Um, and obviously prior to Perez, they were loath to, to pick up any driver from outside of the Red Bull development scheme. So 
Um, I think it's Sergio's seat to lose, really. I think he's, uh, and he's already, as we've discussed, performed pretty well um, in general in that car. He's had a few ups and downs. Um, but the race win at Baku, I think, went a long way to helping him secure the seat for next year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And again, when he's on an up of his ups and downs, his performance is right where you'd hope it to be. It's uh, it's he he's just gotta practice some yoga, really work on his breathing, meditate a bit, and just not let not let it get to his head so much, and stop taking helmet Marcos calls. I firmly believe that this is ninety seven percent helmet Marcos' fault. <laughs> so when they're at when they're at the track together, should he just sort of hide in the toilet then when Marcos in the pit lane, or, or you know what's the strategy there? Do you think? Just stay in the car with his helmet on permanently. What he and, should do uh, is find the nearest Monster Energy tent and just befriend those guys, and uh, <laughs> and just and just have a nice hiding spot, have a a man cave of sorts, you could say. But I uh, see. but anyway, uh, let's move on to the main story, the main topic, which is the 2022 Formula One car. It has officially been debuted by Formula One. This is what Formula One sees as the progression of the regulations, the new rules, and the single largest aim of those new rules is to improve the racing. It's ironic because we're looking at the new car, and it's actually the new car that doesn't exist. No one's going to race this ever. This is just an example of what the FIA sees as an interpretation of the rules. But as we know well and have seen history of formula one teams are going to work really hard to build something better than that yeah that's absolutely true i think um you know the two main objectives one you mentioned is more raceability what does that mean it means that the the car behind in second place or following uh, another car should be able to stay closer through the turns and uh, they're trying to achieve that by making stay closer let me just add sorry to interrupt stay mm-hmm. closer without losing uh, aerodynamic uh, efficiency so maintaining downforce levels while staying closer it, well the, the the maintenance of the downforce level is what allows the car to stay closer right so r- what happens right now is in turbulent air the front wing loses performance and then the car generally starts to understeer and the following car loses time. So what they're trying to do is generate downforce by other methods. So they've introduced a ground effect uh, back into the sport, which was, you know, big in the uh, 80s, late 70s, 80s. Uh, we won't be and, seeing and skirts. And uh, soon that, after. Right. Yeah, and the, the uh, flat floor was born as a result. That's that's correct. And, and obviously in those days, uh, we'll all remember the... The, the skirts that were put on the sides of the floor to basically seal the side of the vehicle uh, to the ground um, to really make that ground effect very, very powerful, which is why those cars can be seen with quite small wings, particularly at the front. Um, so the idea with this new car is to go back to a ground effect downforce generating type vehicle or platform and and then reduce the uh, contribution of the wings, the front and rear wings, um, which have been significantly simplified and the idea is that um, you'll lose less downforce while following another car. They, they claim that 86% of the downforce can be retained. Uh, current car only has about 55%. Uh, 
So if that's true, then that would certainly suggest that the, they would be able to follow more closely and therefore the racing might be better. But there's already a few pundits out there, including the esteemed Gary Anderson, who used to uh, be the lead technical engineer at uh, Jordan, um, just sort of finds those numbers and claims really hard to believe. So he's not entirely convinced that they'll achieve their objectives. But uh, but obviously we, we're going down this path. Uh, it'll happen um, whether or not we like it. And so we'll have to see if it improves the racing. So there were a few things to uh, unpack there just a little bit. Um, the first thing, which I'm sure will surprise you none at all, is that I appreciate that Formula One is following the lead of IndyCar a little bit. Um, mm. It was 2018 <laughs> that IndyCar came up with a new design and the main function was to decrease the um, percentage of downforce generated by the front and rear wing and increase the percentage of downforce generated by the floor. And I believe that any car shifted from like 40% coming from the floor, 60% from the wings, to 65% coming from the floor, 35% coming from the wings. And those are rough numbers based on my memory. So please do not chart them and uh, chip them into stone. This is a similar approach, and I absolutely applaud it. But I will say once more, IndyCar did it first. To that end, I don't, I don't think we want Formula One to become a worldwide IndyCar series, do we? I mean, IndyCar is, you know, its own entity. I, I think, uh, you know, it's a, it's a perfectly good single-seater series in its own right. Obviously, it's, it's largely a, a US-based series. Uh, with a standard chassis. Everyone uses the same basic Dallara chassis. Uh, so you could call it one mate racing, although obviously you do have two engine uh, suppliers involved. Um, for me, uh, if Formula One goes further down that road, it'll kill the sport. It is absolutely the wrong direction. Formula One has always been about racing and also technical development of the cars. And of course, some fans take less interest in the technical sides of things. But I know there's a hardcore of F1 fans that have loved the sport for for the technical side of it since its inception. And I think Formula One's starting to go down a really dangerous path here. And um, as I said, if it ends up being sort of a global IndyCar series, um, it'll probably it'll probably die. So uh, that's precisely right and uh, exactly where I was leading, which IndyCar is a, a one chassis make series with not complete, um, it's not completely the same car, but the amount of modifications the teams can make are highly, highly controlled. And Formula One is going in that direction. However, independent teams are still reading the rules and building their own chassis. The question is, can Formula One survive if they go down this road? And can they survive if they don't? Because there is a massive push-pull here between spending less money, making the series more sustainable and less expensive, and also keeping it independent constructors. They're already talking about having a higher number of shared parts, which to a certain extent is just inevitability if you want to control costs and keep things separate. So how, how, where do you find that line between controlling costs, keep it sustainable, and 
keeping the independent constructors independent? Yeah, I mean, it is a it is a tough challenge. I think the concern that is generally out there is that you're, the rules are becoming so restrictive and it really starts to limit um, the potential team's ingenuity. Um, and, of course, the reason, you know, F, F1 and the FI are doing that is they want closer racing. They want the grids to close up and they want uh, different people leading and winning races and, more, you know, more variety in who can win a race, um, which is, um, OK, it might be a laudable initiative, but ultimately it shouldn't come at the cost of having, you know, distinct cars with distinct engineering philosophies behind them. And I think um, the concern is with the way we're going with the rules and uh, obviously the budget caps is that that ingenuity will really be will really be significantly limited. Um, you know, people forget, I think, quite quickly that Formula One's always had periods of domination by teams, by drivers, um, and the racing hasn't always been close. I mean, you know, some people cite uh, you know exceptional races uh, where you know the top half a dozen drivers were separated by tenths of a second but in, you can also find many examples where drivers have won by a lap or by yeah. you know dozens of seconds and um, so there's always been periods in the sport where you've had very close racing and a variety of different winners and then periods of domination and of course we, we're on the back of one of the most unprecedented periods of domination in the sport with Formula One uh, being absolutely uh, won over by Mercedes these last seven seasons, but that's come to an end this year, and we're seeing uh, them, them struggling to uh, to win races and to hold on to their their championships with Red Bull uh, taking the taking the lead. and And so I think most of us have enjoyed having that variety, and it's come off the back of Red Bull finding you know an extra level of, of performance, which is how the sport should be. It shouldn't be about bringing Mercedes back down to everybody else. Uh, it should be about the other teams rising to the challenge and finding new levels of, of achievement. And um, you could say that Red Bull and Max Verstappen's done that this year. So um, I guess we shouldn't be too negative. The car is one, as you said, one interpretation of the rules. J James Key, a, a technical director, has said that, uh, you know, it's quite a simple, undeveloped concept, you know, and there are still plenty of areas that they can find, um, and develop the car but it is certainly the most restrictive set of rules that F1's ever had and um, that's unfortunate and the, the big concern would be what if it doesn't lead to closer racing <laughs> then you've you've really restricted the technical side and you know you may still have a problem with cars following you may still have a reliance on DRS and you may still have the same team still doing all the winning <laughs> so that yeah. wouldn't be uh, a good result well, but that was one fascination. So there were a couple of key elements there that were designed to reduce the wake, the air wake of the cars following. That was one element to help try to tighten up and improve the racing. The second was the uh, aerodynamics produced by the floor. If that does happen, the, the example car that they've shown does not have a DRS system. Do you see that as any kind of signal that DRS will not be on a 2022 Formula One car? I am not 100% sure, but I am almost certain that DRS is still a feature of a 2022 car. Yeah, and it seems like you're aiming to have better racing, but there is obviously uncertainty 
in what's going on. And that would be a real just shooting yourself in the foot kind of move for Formula One to not allow DRS all of a sudden in the hopes that the racing will be better on its own. And uh, if you're reducing the wake of the Formula One car, that means you would also be reducing the effect of drafting someone down a straightaway and gaining an advantage. So uh, that would also limit the ability to pass. So I certainly hope that DRS isn't going away, but it was a noticeable, uh, noticeable feature not on the car that they were displaying at the British Grand Prix and have since done several videos on. I mean, what did you think of the overall look? I mean, the front wing looks a little odd. Um, it looks a little bit more like a brawn from 2009. <laughs> um, it, you know, it doesn't have the same center section below the nose uh, and with, with the sort of highly defined pointed nature of the wing. It just, it looks, it looks like a really old fashioned front wing to me, um, which, which hopefully doesn't really get translated into the, the actual cars of next season. It just looked overly, it's still too large. Um, just odd. I guess it's something that we'll we'll have to get used to. And then the rear wing is also highly stylized. I, I think again for trailing car benefit, but it looks it looks weird uh, to me at this point. Um, so aesthetically, I wasn't even that convinced about it. Um, I, I think in the they they did try to project some current car liveries onto the twenty two. Um, projection and, and it actually looked a little bit better than the rather strange livery they had on that car the highly reflective checkered um, look didn't really help I think bring out the the lines of the car very well but um, I, I think the clearing out the barge board area is probably a good thing I think that does simplify the car in the in the just forward of the driver agreed uh, which has got very complicated these days and, and doesn't really help the aesthetics of the car so that's certainly an improvement um, and then these sort of strange, uh, the obviously the larger wheels, um, I don't have a problem with, but these aero uh, wheel covers essentially block the view of the brakes. And that's one of always the classic sort of view of the F1 cars, the, the carbon fiber discs glowing under heavy braking is such an iconic nature of the sport um, that that's a bit of a shame that the aero covers are, are going to eliminate that as well. Agreed, um, yeah. So there's there's some real pluses and minuses to, to the, the car. I guess it's a, we'll have to get used to it. Um, but so far, I'm not I'm not convinced, honestly. Yes. Well, I, I'm pretty much in line with you, but obviously, I'm still much more curious than I am uninterested. So I will be paying close attention to uh, what the teams make of the rules and what comes of it, and uh, and see what racing as follows. As, as a result. So hopefully, hopefully Ross Braun was correct and this car will be uh, inherently a better racing car. And I don't mean that to be faster. I mean, easier to race each other racing car. So uh, that's, that's where my fingers, because I'm cautiously optimistic about the racing part of it. The aesthetics, I'm kind of uh, just neutral. I'm very Switzerland about the aesthetics. Yeah, I think the other thing to just finalise there is the power yeah. units are carried over. Oh, um, yes, yes. So they don't change for next year. Hydraulic suspensions are also banned, um, which is uh, which is going to cause a few teams some, some difficulties. So just spring and dampers only. So there's some hydraulic interconnectivity now between the suspensions that help with, obviously, 
uh, the squatting of the vehicles and the braking, for example. So that's all gone. And um, yeah, it looks like DRS is still definitely on the, for 2022, but there's some discussions about eliminating it for 25. Oh, and one other point that these cars will be heavier. I believe they're nudging, I think they said not 790 kilograms now. So these things are getting pretty porky. Um, mm-hmm. in the, right around the year 2000, we were talking about, what, 600, 620 kilograms for a race car? So uh, they, they've, they've gotten heavier. Yeah, that's absolutely a concern. I mean, the cornering speeds and the agility of the F1 car is what really stands them apart from any other racing car um, in the world. So if they start to get too heavy, you, you and now with potentially less aero overall then that could that could uh you know reduce another great aspect of the sport so again we're seeing this potential watering down of what formula one is to most people but um yeah as, we, as i said we have to wait and see well another car that's gotten heavier but also more powerful is the car i did a youtube video on most recently the 2021 bmw m5 competition that thing weighs well over 790 kilograms. It is uh, 4,345 pounds, so we're nudging up on 2,000 kilograms here. And that car has 617 horsepower from a 4.4-liter turbocharged V8. That is two turbochargers spinning up to make all gobs of power, and it makes 553 pound-feet of torque, but it does so between 1,800 and 5,860 RPMs. <laughs> <laughs> it just makes monster, monster torque for a large, large amount of its rev range. It's it's truly impressive and makes me giggle. <laughs> By your laughter, I can tell Chris has seen it at least three times and agrees with me. Um, so that's it for now. Short and sweet episode, but we will be back to be covering um, racing again next week. For now, I want to thank you for listening. Please take a moment to review us on iTunes or on whatever platform you get our podcasts. Please leave comments on the episode of your choice by going to funwithcars.com, which has been updated. As always, I can be reached at feedback at funwithcars.com. Tweet us at fun underscore with underscore cars. And check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash fwcars. Oh, Chris, look, we did it, and it's still morning. Look at us go. (laughs) Thanks, Robin. I'm Robin Warner. Goodbye.